Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Lethbridge Stewart as he defends England from Americans and Russians. <laughs> as he arrives at episode number 286. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Well. Did you guys have a good Father's Day or a good pop-up day? Yeah, not bad. What did you guys do? Anything fun? Uh, we went to Red Robin for lunch, and then we went to my folks for cupcakes and brownies and ice cream and mm. played some games. Mason and I, uh, well, I bought these little water shooters from the dollar store the other day because I thought it'd be fun. And yesterday we played and had a water fight. Today I had bought these little tiny, like, I don't know, rockets that, they're little foam rockets you take and you stretch a little thing over your finger and you let go of it and it shoots. Oh, yeah. And he had this wonderful idea to take and put them on the top of the sticks and fire them into the air. That <laughs> didn't work real well, but uh, we did that and then we played with, uh, we had bought some little snaps. So Oh, yeah. We just, you know, I was at the dollar store and I said, this is fun stuff we can do this weekend. So yeah. we, we did and we did. So it was fun. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes all you need is poop to roll in. <laughs> I saw pictures. <laughs> Better explain that one to the listeners. <laughs> yeah, I was mowing this morning, and um, Cody decided to roll in some poop in the backyard. <laughs> or mud. I, uh, Sarah says poop. I think it was mud. It wasn't super strong, but it was bad enough that he got carted off to Grandma's to get a, uh, a bath while I finished mowing. What about you, Sean? Uh, we had a very full day. We went and uh, saw, took everybody to so go see uh, Finding Dory. How was that? It was really good. As good as Finding Nemo? It's not as good as Finding Nemo. Um, it's Better w- than Cars 2? Better than Cars Well, <laughs> you're on two ends of the spectrum there. It's somewhere in the middle. It, um, whereas the first Finding Nemo I kind of think of as, as a comedy. Mm-hmm. This one's more of an adventure film. Oh, okay. Um, so it's not as funny, but it, it's, it's, I mean, it's got moments. But it was really good, and it was really well done. Of course, outstanding animation, and... But uh, we, we did that, and then uh, uh, we were with Cody and uh, Sam and Katrina, and then uh, Jesse and uh, Cheyenne tagged along, and uh, we went to Blind Tiger for, uh, for lunch and had some really good barbecue. We dropped them off, and Mel took me to Baskin-Robbins for ice cream, even though I was already stuffed. I ate that, too. <laughs> <laughs> did you get gold medal ribbon? I did not get no. gold medal ribbon. No, no. I, I, I haven't you wasted your trip to basketball. <laughs> I thought of you. I thought of myself. I you know what I ought to do is I had to get some gold medal ribbon and bring it tonight is what I should do. I did not. Um, Clearly. That's what Glenn it's my thinks. father's day too. Half, half halfway through this podcast, I'm gonna go get gold medal ribbon. I'm just gonna sit here and eat a bowl of it in front of him and not say anything. Not share. There are a few things I will fight a man for. <laughs> gold medal gold ribbon medal is one of them. I will stand over your bloodied corpse and do the dance. <laughs> uh, Sing us a little bit of the gold medal ribbon song, Glenn. Yeah. You didn't bring any, so <laughs> can't be done. I forgot about the gold medal ribbon. We may have to bring that back next week. Yeah. Here's a contest, listeners. If you'd like to hear the gold medal ribbon song, <laughs> send us some gold medal ribbon. <laughs> I just have to make it up because I can't remember how it goes. Uh, I'd have to go back to the archives and... Make sure you oh, do it right. That was early. <laughs> it was real early. I want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Jerry and Megan, who are uh, a wonderful couple that we met down at uh, a galley um, several years back, and uh, we had that wonderful day 
out of the con where we went all over uh, Santa Monica and, and did things. And they apparently went to Awesome Con this week and uh, were kind enough to contact me in advance because they purchased the VIP tickets and asked, Would you be interested in a Peter Capaldi autograph? And I went, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a Peter Capaldi autograph. Thank you to Megan and Jerry for that opportunity. We uh, decided to bring back uh, Saturday Night Movie Night at the house, and Hi. we watched um, Maleficent, finally. And? I quite enjoyed it. Oh, um, I can't if, talk to you. If you no separate, gold medal ribbon for you. If you separate it from <laughs> the Sleeping Beauty story and just decide that they decided to do a Maleficent story where she's the hero, <laughs> the heroine, then it's, it's fine. I thought it was, it was quite enjoyable. I thought there was they a lot of completely removed the structure of the film. I thought there was a lot of originality and her in name, the story, Maleficent. and I watched uh, what we do in the shadows. That's dropping off HBO Go at the end of this month, so it's been on my radar. It's a mockumentary from the guys who did Flight of the Concords. Oh right, right. Where oh the vampire thing. Yeah, yeah. I've heard so much about that. It's really weird, <laughs> as you can expect. Sean, you might appreciate it. I, I, I've heard good things about it from people that I, I, I trust. I've been listening to the uh, early Doctor Adventures, Big Finish's early Doctor Adventures. I actually, I have uh, season one, which is all uh, first Doctor stories. Uh, but I started because I got excited about uh, series two, which is all third Doctor st- or uh, second Doctor stories, and it's Fraser Hines doing uh, the second Doctor. And Ooh. oh my gosh, <laughs> quite enjoyable. He does a fantastic job. And then, and I don't know how much of it is sit down and record Second Doctor, and then sit down and record Jamie. But if he's doing it all in one breath, it's just the the, the take back and forth is so well done. I finished uh, Houdini and Doyle. How was it? It was really enjoyable. Surprisingly enjoyable. I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. I forgot I did watch. Uh Minions. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. It's cute. Yeah. Does, it, does anybody else do that? Do you watch things that are just? Oh, it happens to be set near England, and I go, oh, maybe there's a Doctor Who joke somewhere in here that I'm going to get a reference. And <laughs> nope. No. Nope. Just just me. Huh? <laughs> I heard of that. I've also started really listening to uh, Hamilton, the musical. It's really good from what I've heard. I haven't got. I've just been listening to random songs on YouTube, but I really enjoy it. I highly recommend that one. Okay. Record-breaking Tony. <laughs> okay. Nominations. Do you know anything about Hamilton? I, I know it's a um, uh, historical. Um, uh, yeah. Pseudo, pseudo-historical. <laughs> Do you know anything about it, Glenn? Oh yeah. Okay. My uh, niece is huge into it. I figured you might, since you're a bit more plugged into some of the theater stuff. Yeah, I recommend it. It's a lot of rapping, but done really well. Well, should we move on to news? Sure. Uh, Doctor Who is, for the first time in history, on the long list for the Emmy Awards. Hey. So Peter Capaldi has been not, is listed uh, for best actor, best drama actor category for his role in Heaven Sent. Congratulations to him. The episode he can pick up the nomination. Yeah. The episode itself has also been nominated for Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series. Congratulations to Stephen Moffat. Hopefully he can pick <laughs> up the 
nomination. Today. Yeah, that's exciting. That the first time in the fifty-three year history of the of the show that gets a nomination. Yeah, I think you can only count ten of that, but because yeah, it wasn't true. really. It wasn't. I mean, PBS shows were not even considered for nominations. So Emmys. I'm kind of surprised Especially this imports. was too. Yeah. Even though it was on BBC America, I'm well, I think that's of, I think that's why because it's got the BBC America backing. In fact, the money's coming from here now. Too. Uh, David Tennant's also listed as outstanding supporting actor in a drama series. Which one? For Jessica Jones. Ah, yeah, that's well deserved. Yes, agreed. Very well deserved. As, as much as as much as it pains me to say it, that one will probably garner an odd. Yeah. Whereas Doctor Who probably won't. It's first outing here. I mean, Jessica Jones is its first outing, but I think Netflix has developed it's, it's a got reputation. a bit more clout. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in other news, Big Finish announced that Matthew Waterhouse will be coming back to his role as Adric in Three New Adventures, alongside Peter Davison as the Doctor, Janet Fielding, and Sarah Sutton, uh, to be released in 2017. Three new adventures set within Season 19. So that's exciting. Uh, Doctor Who, the, the Starmen, and then Doctor Who, the Contingency Club, and the Zaltis. And just Zaltis, sorry. I look forward to getting to the Adric stuff. I want to see here how, how they write him, if they kind of improve his character at all. Like they have done in the past. They've done it with everybody else. I'd be surprised <laughs> if they if they didn't. But yeah. there, there, no, I mean, don't be confused. There are some magics out there already. He he came back and yeah, recorded yeah. some stuff. Well, I just mean in general. I want to get to those stories so I can right, right. I can hear how they how they handle them. Uh, our last bit of news is uh, we got a little casting announcement for series ten, which begins filming uh, this week. Um, Matt. Lucas is returning as his in his role of Nardle, who you'll remember from the Husbands of River Song. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I, I so. I quite enjoyed Nardle. I'd like. I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do with him. I'll be interested to see how they handle the robot body part. Because at the end of it, he's in that robot body. Why wouldn't he be in the robot body? I don't know. I guess I didn't, didn't imagine he would. Oh, I don't know. I hope he I is. I sort of they thought they'd pick it up where they left off. Although they can fold time back on itself and <laughs> meet him earlier as well, so I suppose. That's true. That, would, I, that might kind of I'm mess up uh, Husbands of River Song a little bit. But <laughs> I'm just... Heck, they've got River going back and traveling with the previous doctors past... Uh, yeah, but how so. they do that is so brilliant that... Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um... So apparently he's coming back in a returning role, from what I've seen. Of course it'd be a returning role. No, like, <laughs> returning more than once. Oh, a reoccurring, oh, reoccurring, reoccurring role. Re- Sorry. Poking the bear. <laughs> <laughs> I was with you, Sean. He said that, and I thought, we just said what he was returning as, and that's a returning role. But yes, reoccurring role. Well, that could be overdone. That that that, 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 that part I'm a little worried about, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, if you also go out there and look, you can see some of the writers that they've announced too. Uh, some returning ones, including uh, oh, who's the guy that wrote Sleep No More? Sarah Dollard is coming back. Uh, Mark Gatiss, Mark Gatiss, and he's coming back to write another story. 
supposedly a sequel to Sleep No More. Well, <laughs> no, see, fortunately, Mark Gatiss is hit and miss. So he has a really good story, and then he has a really bad story, and then he has a really good story, and then he has a really bad story. So this should be his really good this story. This should be a really good story, then. And it looks like we get a new writer, uh, award-winning screenwriter, Frank Cottrell Boyce. Who I don't know who that is, but if you know, if you, if you pay attention to such things. I followed all of his stuff. He's very good. He wrote Millions. <laughs> you wrote what? Millions. That uh, British film with the kid that yeah. gets the The Danny Boyle money. film. Yeah. Yeah, he's written a lot of stuff. 24-hour party people, in addition to that. I'm, it's exciting to see a new names on the list, too, that yeah. we haven't written for you Have before. they announced Peter Jackson directing yet? They have not. Peter Bennett, <laughs> whoever that is. <laughs> oh, wait, no, it's a producer. Sorry. I Peter Bennett sounded familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, Maybe that's why. Lawrence Goff, Go, Gao, G-O-U-H, is directing Probably the... Gao. Probably Gao. Uh, directing the f- opening episode. So no Peter Jackson announcements and no Captain Jack returning announcements. Nope. Shocking. A, a Bartlett, Shocking. A Bartlett is riding in part of Block 2. Well, of course they are. <laughs> I didn't know you had family over there. Well, you know, if they're have uh, if they are Bartlett, it's going to be a stellar episode. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of family over there. That's, Bartlett's are from England. so Well, they're Germanic descent in England, but there's a lot of Bartlett's in England. <laughs> I guess a good chunk of England is from this Germanic. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of invaded them and the uh, Vikings. Yeah. That's it for news. They begin filming next week, so either look for spoilers or avoid spoilers, depending on how you want to <laughs> handle the filming process. Look, the set photos will be leaking and coming out uh, before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> Almost time to get off social media again. <laughs> the funny thing is, like, I remember seeing the the set photos of them in the forest filming the Robin Hood story. Uh-huh. And uh, it almost looked like they're talking to the sky, but they're just looking at the spaceship. And by the time the episode aired, I had forgotten I'd seen those pictures. The same <laughs> happened with me with the, uh, was it, what was the title of the first one? Um Deep breath. Oh um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. same thing. I remember seeing set photos of those, and, and then when it came out, I had completely forgotten. In fact, nothing, nothing spoiled anything for me. So, well, and <laughs> there, there was even the one for uh, time heist of the monsters going down the, out in the field. I saw pictures of that, and then <laughs> even after I saw the episode. <laughs> I think the season was over, and I saw the picture again, and then I clicked to where that <laughs> came from. And so, you know, I, I don't think we have anything to worry about. It's been happening for a long time. It's been happening from the Matt Smith era. I mean, the the pictures of them on the beach for uh, the Angels two parter leaked way early. Oh Didn't yeah, give anything away. I, I don't think we have anything to worry about. The bits on the uh, set photos the are, lake. are not very telling. Yeah. Even most uh, of the uh, sure. announcements that come out. Oh, they're returning to Lanzarote. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the man, so nothing just becomes the a, moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just becomes a little throwaway. It's enough for fans to go. Oh, I wonder if they're going to do this. I bet they're going to do this, and it just causes I, I lots of unnecessary speculation. Is what yeah, happens. it really does. 
So that's why normally we avoid uh, stuff like that for when they're filming. Uh, we'll do the occasional cast announcement if it's a big enough name. That's, but... that's more for us to keep from speculating something and then being way off base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Completely off base. We should do a uh, Conan O'Brien segment in the year 2000 where we would just predict <laughs> things for Doctor Who this season. That'd be a good segment. You know. I predict Bill's going to last three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we put those in an envelope and see what happens. Mark Gatiss will write a good story. <laughs> <laughs> Some people like sleep no more, surprisingly. I can count them on one hand. <laughs> Do you see the? Uh, there was a poll that was released about the most divisive... or de- de- What's that word? De- divisive. Divisive. Derisive. 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 Hold on. Okay. I posted it. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, I guess you saw the article. Right? <laughs> yep. What's it mean when there's a split and it's divisive? Divisive. I don't think that's right. It doesn't sound right. Anyway, um, <laughs> in the forest of the night is the one that apparently is split. Pretty half and half between people who liked it and people. Who, or no, it's not in the Force of the Night. It's Kill the Moon, isn't it? I'm regretting bringing this up now. <laughs> my brain's all over the place right now. It is divisive. Divisive. With an eye, all eyes except for the end. Okay. I sort of like to sit back and say something and then wait till somebody proves me right. It just happens quite frankly on the <laughs> show. I was uh, with that list. I was surprised at how many of the uh, stories that we kind of like and most fandom we I've heard didn't like uh, had surprisingly good ratings. On yeah, them. they it, it felt justified. Yeah, in, in a way, it that, really did. That we're not completely crazy, except for Talons of Wenchang, which is still up there as a oh my god, it's awesome. And we were like, hey, I was glad. I was glad it made the list, <laughs> at least for being divisive. divisive. This doesn't sound right. <laughs> How big's the list? It's 13. Mm-hmm. Name them. All right, we got Love and Monsters, which is at 38% good, 62% bad. According to this poll. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Rings of Akatem, which is 68% good, 32% bad. Doctor Who the Movie. <laughs> I've got 13 to do. Keep going. Keep moving. I won't give you the percentages anymore. Doctor Who the movie. Uh, the Beast Below. In the Forest of the Night. The Unicorn and the Wasp. Robot of Sherwood. Vengeance on Varos. The Power of Three. Creature from the Pit. Sleep No More. Talons of Wang Chang. And Kill the Moon. There's only about three on there that I wouldn't be on the percentage that didn't like. I'm kind of surprised uh, Vengeance on Barros is the sixth Doctor story they chose. And not Dwindleman? Yeah. I I guess maybe because no one likes Dwindleman. There's no divisiveness (laughs) to that at all. See, that's what surprises me, though, is that there are enough people that didn't like Vengeance on Barros that it made the list. I mean, of 200 and however many episodes we're up to now. I thought yeah. I thought that one was pretty universally enjoyed and liked by especially of the Sixth Doctor's era. Yeah. I wonder if that has something to do with it being the Sixth Doctor's era, and there being so many people that don't like it. That one actually ranks high 
in uh, maybe favorite that's why. Of, the, of the sampling, and so it ends up on a divisive list because it has enough votes to divide it somewhat. Could be. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack because I just <laughs> no, thought that was—I right. th- I thought it was an it's interesting. It's Doctor list. Who related. <laughs> I think it was, it was worthy of mention. Yeah. Should we move on to feedback? Sure, sure. Do we have any? We have some feedback from Brenda. Brenda writes recommendations for ten. Dear Vortex Gang, I know it's been ages since I've written, but I've faithfully listened. I've been faithfully listening each week and sending my Patreon donation every month. You know I love you guys. Thank you, Brenda. We very much appreciate it, Brenda. Yes. It has been so long since I've communicated that I haven't gotten any... haven't even gotten any feedback about your streamlined show schedule. I admit that I miss the days of gutter and light bulb discussions. The thing I love most about your podcast is the genuine friendship you guys have with each other. And I love the banter. But I do understand your desire to spend your time wisely, so I'll suffer the changes. I was prompted to write in response to the latest Beyond the Doctor, but I totally forgot to write last weekend when this would have been timely. I had toyed with the idea for several weeks of writing to lobby for a review of one of my favorite Dr. David Tennant works, The Escape Artist. When I saw you reviewing what we did on our holiday, I figured you had chosen another great, mo- another great movie so I wouldn't bother you with my request. Ever since I discovered David Tennant, I have followed his career beyond Doctor Who and have found some exceptional things he has done, not only movies, but many limited television series. He has a gift for choosing projects that are unique in perspective and really interesting to watch. Most have been quiet British British projects, and those are actually the ones I tend to like most. So first of all, I'll give my brief review of what we did on our holiday, and then I'll go on a bit further and make some other recommendations for other worthwhile things to watch. Actually, my review is exactly what all of you said. Casting was perfect, acting was natural, the scenery was breathtaking, and the story told totally unexpected and yet totally believable. Northern England and Scotland are full of Viking tales, museums, artifacts, historical locations, so that connection was the perfect twist. I did have a couple of Doctor Who moments when I first saw the film, however. The first was the car that the family drove to Scotland. It was the Toyota version of the Honda uh, Honda Fit that I drive, and in the exact same color of TARDIS blue. (laughs) Actually, the name of that blue uh, used to be called Vortex Blue by Honda, but they called it something else now. Personally, I think they should go back to Vortex Blue. I think there's a Whovian somewhere in that Honda factory. My second Who moment was the burning Viking boat raft, which called to mind a certain lake in Utah and a certain doctor's fiery funeral. But that's just me. I find who moments in just about everything. So Brenda probably looks for references. I keep like looking for him, Brenda. <laughs> now, here are my recommendations for some other great David Tennant viewing. First of all, The Escape Artist. It's a fascinating look into the English legal system with some total left turns you don't expect. David plays a brilliant lawyer who has never lost a case and is known for getting his clients out of seemingly impossible situations. Hence his nickname, The Escape Artist. Oh, so he's not a magician? Way less interested now. (laughs) He said the escape artist. I thought Houdini. Instead, I get a lawyer. (laughs) Glad knowing that going into it, though. Yeah. He is named the number one barrister in the top 40 under 40 and is headed toward being named a QC, Queen's Counsel, or Silk, when life totally blindsides him. I thought he was a lawyer. (laughs) Those are British lawyer terms. Didn't you watch A Fish Called Wanda? We learned about barristers versus lawyers. 
Yeah, but is it a barrister the guy that makes the coffee? No, that's a barista. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I may owe a few people an apology. <laughs> Do you think Blake was a lawyer this whole time? No, he thought he made coffee. <laughs> I guess, yeah, that doesn't work the other way. He does. <laughs> well, you're spot on there. No apologies to Blake. Uh, when life totally blindsides him, it's not just the courtroom drama, but it's also looking at the character's private life and its challenges. The show was presented by PBS as a masterpiece theater, but it was edited to make two 90-ish minute episodes rather than the three one-hour episodes that were presented by the BBC. I recommend the BBC version if you can get it. It's on Amazon Prime, but I think that's the edited version. Just buy a DVD and you'll get the real thing. Sophie Okonedo also stars... And she is brilliant. Seriously, I highly, rec- I strongly recommend this series. It's some of the best TV I've seen. Another show that isn't so easy to find in the U.S., but is totally worth the effort, is The Single Father, a four-episode miniseries. David plays a father of four children who has to navigate life after his wife dies unexpectedly in a tragic accident. This probably sounds totally predictable, but trust me that you won't see the things coming that will rivet your attention for the entire four hours. The series is packed with a heavyweight with heavyweight actors, and the acting chemistry is powerful. Imagine scenes between David Tennant, Rupert Graves, Saran Jones, and Neve McIntosh. That's just the who tie-ins. I rewatch the series every couple of months. It's just that it's just that good. You can see the series on some online sites, but if you want to buy it, you'll need to have a region-free DVD player because I don't think I've seen it in Region One, the North American format. A word for region. A word for region-free DVD players, they're really easy to buy online and not expensive at all. I've used 220 electronics for years and I've purchased several region-free players, both DVD and Blu-ray for them. Actually, I only buy a region-free now and it's made so much easier when I'm an Anglophile and love BBC and other British shows that you can't always get in the States. I also recommend Broadchurch, especially the first series. A cute rom-com called The Decoy Bride and a, little, a brilliant little film called United, telling the true story of the Manchester United football team players who died in the plane crash in the, 19, in the 50s. And while I'm in the business for recommending very good viewing opportunities, try Shallow Grave, one of Christopher Rockison's first films, which was also a first film for director Danny Boyle and Ewan McGregor. It's a 1994 glimpse into some careers that would later explode, but here there were unknowns in the... In the, role, in the leading roles, and performing brilliantly. Finally, what would feedback be without be from me? What would feedback from me be without some educational aspect regarding the British currency, the old system of pounds, shillings, farthings, crowns, pence, etc., was abandoned in 1971 when they went to a decimalized system where a pound equals 100 pence, pennies. They have a system of coins that divide the pound similar to what we use. The smallest paper note is five pounds, and their coins are one penny, commonly referred to as one p, two pence, two p, five pence, five p, ten p, twenty p, and fifty p, as well as one pound and two pound coins. The slang term quid is often used to refer to a pound like we use bucks to refer to dollars. That one I knew. I don't think I knew that one. I quit? You did not? Yeah. 
Also, regarding the euro, less than half of the countries in the EU actually use the euro as their countries, or as their currency. That I did not know. Obviously, the UK chose to continue using the pound, so that won't be affected by the outcome of the Brexit vote next Thursday. Since my choir is going to England again next summer, I've been watching the issue quite closely as it affects the exchange rates as we begin sending deposits for our housing and other group activities. I'm responsible for our housing plans for our trip, and with the pound falling in strength against the dollar and anxiety surrounding the vote, we have saved quite a bit with our early payments. I apologize to our UK friends who have experienced decreased buying power with this trend, but it's usually the other way around, so this is a nice change for us. So that's my ramblings for this week. When I'm silent, which is probably the preferred case as I get quite verbose at times, I'm still listening and supporting you guys. Have a great week, and think about a light bulb or gutter for me occasionally. (laughs) Brenda in Atlanta. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you, Brenda. Thanks, Brenda. And those are some good recommendations. Those have actually been ones on my to-watch list. I just haven't ever gotten around. Not all of them. A couple of my were off my radar altogether that uh, I'll check into, but... Uh, single father, the sca- uh, skate artist. There's one other. In that. Oh, the the one about the Manchester United team. We've all been on my uh, two watch list whenever I can get a hold of them. Because <laughs> as she said, they're not easily available. Here. And the decoy bride has been on my Netflix queue since I've had Netflix. That's I right. Think. I forgot that's on there. <laughs> yeah. And I can tell you that uh, the one about the um, coffee making <laughs> magician lawyer is available at my store. So what what she's also telling us is if you're gonna schedule, plan a trip to England, right. <laughs> now's the time that, to do now's it. Now's a good time to do it. <laughs> yeah, and I think I'd said last week that Brexit vote was this week. It's actually next week. Ah. <laughs> it's actually still coming up. So. Uh, just if you do have Amazon Prime, I just looked. The Escape Artist is three episodes on Amazon Prime. Oh, good. Okay. Three hour long episodes. Well, I have Amazon Prime. Right so there now. you go. You can you can watch it there. I can stream it. Yes. Uh, you can send us feedback at feedback at Travel in the Vortex or on any of our, our Twitter accounts or Facebook. Twitter is at Travel Vortex and Facebook is Traveling the Vortex. And of course, don't forget the Goodreads Book Club. The You can still vote in July's poll. I think the poll's up. up now, isn't it? Yep. Holly mentioned that last week. I should go do that. I haven't done that yet. I haven't voted yet either. Thanks for the reminder, Keith. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so take part in the Goodreads Book Club. Weigh in on royal blood if you're reading it. Not royal paint. Not royal paints. Should we move on to our review? Sure. Let's do the action comic first, right? Did I get that right? Uh, TV. TV action comic? Or TV just, comic? No, just TV comic. No, yeah. I didn't. didn't. I got the comic part That's right. That's all right. I didn't help you out any. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, wait, no. There was some action in it, though. TV There comic. was some action in it. In the 1960s... Um, they produced the TV comics, and they got the license for Doctor Who. And TV comics, if you don't know, was often uh, various comics of things that were on television. Quite frequently, it was uh, things like Popeye and uh, things that were on television. And uh, there were a few live-action like shows that were also... Uh, huh? Like Popeye. Like Popeye. And, which live-action shows, and uh, Doctor Who happened to be one of the licenses, and they ran those all the way into the third Doctor. Uh, actually, ran all those into the fourth Doctor era for a while. So. 
before Marvel picked up the mail. Oh. Anyway, uh, we've talked about that before. This just a this little is reminder the there. the same thing that we did with the fourth Doctor one that looks like the second Doctor because they just drew hair and yes, yeah. pants on. Right? <laughs> right. It's the same The Duelist, of... I believe, was the name of that story. What did you guys think of uh, the moon landing? It was a cute little story. A bizarre little story. <laughs> I think they all are, though. They're all in that same kind of vein of, I think they're really geared towards very young readers. Yeah. Uh, TV comic was geared, geared towards kids. It's, I think as TV as comics, especially in the UK, grew over the years, uh, they started to target them to older audiences. But certainly back in the 1960s, they were, and so it's a, it's a it's a quaint little simplistic story, which I think most of the first Doctor stories are. Um, we've got John and Jillian again, which are uh, our. Uh, Stand-ins for the companions <laughs> on TV because for some reason they couldn't use the companions that were in television, and so they invented a, another granddaughter and a grandson for the Doctor. And uh, John and Jillian and the Doctor land on the planet and um, find that uh, in 1970, <laughs> which <laughs> they only missed it by a year. Um, oh, this was written before, wasn't it? It was written before, but it takes place in 1970. Uh, I think what's funny about it is, and again, it's it's simplistic for for the kids, but the astronauts get trapped in a chasm, and <laughs> the scientists that had been working tirelessly through the 1960s to figure out how to get the astronauts to the moon fail to tell them that the gravity will be <laughs> about a tenth of what it is on Earth, and that they could just jump out of any uh, harrowing chasm that might be more than 15 feet deep. Uh, other than that, <laughs> I quite enjoyed this yeah, story. Now, hold on. There's first a lot of, of all, clever thinking in this. First of all, I want to really throw out a shout out that this 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 comic, which was written a year earlier in '68. I think this comic was written in '64. Uh, '64. Yeah. So it'd be six. Years so the the, the 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 capsule on the on the on the newspaper is July twentieth, nineteen seventy. They had the date right. They had the year wrong. I mean, that to me is cool. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> now, the second pattern is I was legitimately concerned about these astronauts being down <laughs> in this chasm because I did not think about the fact that you could just jump. And well, you haven't had the benefit of a scientist <laughs> forgetting to tell you that you could jump out of a chasm. No, they even mentioned later. It's like, oh, yeah, we knew that. But it just Yeah, I think that, that that's, that's the thing that kind of – that's the kind of thing that, that saves this is I think that they were so – distracted by the fact that they weren't the first men on the moon <laughs> or the first they, people they on the moon all their, their that they kind of that forgot all of their training because they do, you're right, they do in their defense say, well, we knew that. <laughs> but when the, when the doctor holds up the slate and says, you can jump and get out, and I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I had legit, and one turns the other and goes, I, I forgot we could do that. And I thought to myself, yeah, me too. Because I was wrapped up in the, oh, no, they fell on a hole. <laughs> But I, I thought it was clever how they how they had these breathing apparatuses, which I don't buy. <laughs> Isn't that a great well, you, sci-fi you don't, thing? You it's don't, a very sci-fi. You don't thing. buy them because you can't buy them because they don't exist. <laughs> but but no, I, I know what you I, mean. I don't believe they work. <laughs> I don't think that works. Quite like you think you do, this, Doctor. Uh, but I, I, the cool idea of we we're, we can have these things and we can talk to each other, but we can't talk to them. And the doctor thinks through to bring a chalkboard and chalk to talk to the astronauts, which he still has in listen when yeah, he's writing. It's the same story. one. <laughs> Maybe a new piece of chalk. But. <laughs> I I quite like this. Now I, I've always never 
been ashamed to say that I'm a fan of the TV comics, and I think being uh, a, a fan of that era of science fiction and the visualizations that it gives that kind of 50s and 60s retro sci-fi, um, just it, they jump off the page, and especially with the the uh, sometimes literally, <laughs> sometimes the <laughs> the uh, uh, you know the the illustrations of the astronauts, which are remarkably close to i mean a real spacesuit yeah. but uh gives that kind of presentation that 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 all media that was doing science fiction at the time does and so there's just something strikes close to my heart with when i see that kind of uh those kind of visuals and a lot of i'm with sean there's there was a lot of forethinking there uh for having written this several years prior i thought they'd do a nice job of of kind of really getting it right you mentioned the fact that they're they're kind of child orientated or, or or aimed at but what's interesting is that there's a lot of big words and, and you know we get uh, trials and tribulations and uh um preparations and i mean just things that uh, a, a normal i'm trying to remember how old I was when I first started reading comics and it honestly improved my vocabulary because it was things that yeah. I didn't know that one. I had to go look that up and find things like that. But um, for, for the... How am I trying to put this? For the apparent age bracket that they're aiming these at, they seem to be coming up, you know, kind of up here. Anything else about the Moonshot? I don't think so. No, it's, it's a quaint little... Uh, story and quite enjoyable and look forward to doing more of these. Shall we move on to our review of Moonblink? Should we do the short? Oh yeah, sorry. The short. Yes, let's do the short. Oh, the locking. The locking. Let's do. By Sarah Grunavagan. Grunavagan. I've been practicing. Sounded good to me. (laughs) The lock-in by Sarah Grunavagan. I don't think I have a synopsis. I'm sure Andy... I think we need one. Yeah. Um, well, it's a short story, and it's uh, only about 20 pages. And I'll start. Um, this was one of the weakest of the stories for me as far as the short stories go. That being said, I quite appreciate and enjoyed the presentation of how it was delivered in that it was correspondence between... Uh, help me with her name. Uh, her? Pearl. Pearl and Lethbridge Stewart and how they're recalling uh, an event that happened that we're not completely privy to until you can get the context of it from the delivery back and forth and kind of figure out what maybe happened uh, in this event that they shared together. And so I completely appreciate the approach to this story. While I think the story was... It, it, it sort of lacked in substance because of the delivery, because uh, I don't think you really get the full get the effect full story, yeah, of what know. happened. But the delivery in, in within itself is so fun and well done that I would score this a little higher from that aspect. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea behind the story uh, of, of the, the way they told the story. I, I disagree with you that, yeah, I would have liked a bit more of those details of what happened in the adventure. Uh, and it almost would have been better served because so much we only get the one letter from Lethbridge Stewart, and it's that it almost would have been better served to have the amount flipped and have him writing to somebody about something, and then him being able to flesh it out the story 
because she's even in this, even in that second letter, he's she's still speculating on what happened. You kind of can put the pieces together, but you're still kind of trying to figure. And she doesn't fully know what's going on either. I think it's probably a case that neither of them fully knew what had then happened. That just be. that something had happened and they survived it. Yeah, and she'd had just enough experience with it to know that you know you shouldn't be armed. And um, we're all going to lock ourselves in the room and hope for the best. And that the brig handled it well when he was not the brig, um, <laughs> and 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 on duty with it. Yeah. Um, but I think with flipping them, though, I think that why the reason that I like having only the limited correspondence from Lethbridge Stewart is the idea that even though he you kind of understand that the reason why he divulges more information than you expect him to divulge in the letter is because he must have been close to death. And, but I think by limiting his correspondence, it also shows that he is somewhat trying to adhere to the Secrecy Act. Yeah. And so I kind of like the fact that he gives a little bit more than he even thinks he should in the recalling of this story, but also holds back just enough that he doesn't feel like he's betrayed any sort of secrecy. And so I think had you flipped that, I think it would have been a little out of character for Lethbridge Stewart to have divulged more of this story than Pearl did. And so I think it works better with Pearl divulging more story. And after Lethbridge Stewart sending the response, makes it kind of opens Pearl up to realize that I think she can divulge a little bit more than she expected she could writing the first part of this letter or first, yeah. writing the first letter. Yeah. And so I think it works in the the course of the the uh, opening up and the story flowing a little better by doing it that yeah. way. Yeah. And that is a good point. It's one of those things that is it's kind of a I, I, strangely enough, I agree with you, Glenn. I, I think it's a, uh, a two for two, two for twice two. in one show. It's it's a double-edged sword from the standpoint that whatever this event is, I would have liked a discourse. I would have liked somebody to just go blah, and here's all the oh wow, you know, this is a great adventure story. And when it started with a letter, my initial thought was because uh, letter stories are they're, they're passive voice, and you always kind of wind up with the you know. You either have to dissolve from the letter into the thing, or remember that time that this happened, and it just it just comes across as awkward and clunky <laughs> when you do it that way. And this was not; it was an extremely well done letter correspondence story, which was cool. So the presentation was phenomenal. Unfortunately, I think that backed down my my enjoyment aspect of the adventure part of it because I really wanted to know more about what this incident was. That you know, and if you just set out a straight third person narration of this particular event it could have been uh, I, I think pretty cool but by that same token I've come to the reluctant uh, <laughs> realization that with the Lethbridge Stewart line there are just things that are going to happen that I'm not going sure, to be privy sure. to oh yeah like Wembley <laughs> I swear if I get one more reference to whatever happened at Wembley <laughs> I want to know what happened at Wembley but um, you know, they're just things that are happening, and you just go, "Oh well, that was another thing that yeah, th- I certainly that happened." It's I like, certainly okay. think that. Well, I think it was the eggs of Khufu that you said that you felt that there could well that and the Christmas story that that was done. You felt that you 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 think that could have been done in novel form and really fleshed out even better. Khufu for sure, yeah. And but. I think that in this particular story, in order to fulfill the 
adventure niche and the the interest more in what happened i think would have been done better in a longer form in the way that you just described that you would start with the letter and then i love how you used a uh, television movie term to dissolve into the story but <laughs> that's what head, we, that's what we know that way, that's so. what we know is film but i think had you then been able to the next chapter go to the event and let us in on what was going on, but then come back to the letters and give the the vagueness, you know, get to a point and almost make it cliffhanger-ish so that we got to a point where, oh, what happens next? And then we're informed by the letter of what happened next and back into that vague reality of it to, to kind of uh, pull you back away from the mystery and go, oh, okay, what happened? Oh, now we're going to be vague about it again. And then do the quote-unquote dissolve into the action again but have skipped apart or skipped away ahead in the story so that we did still leave some some vagueness there in the letter and then have a piece of the action again and then go back and and go to lethbridge stewart's story or correspondence and i think even there you could have done it in a way as they do in the book where he is trying to uh, not pushed so far as to go past the secrecy's oath that he has, right. has taken, but then go back into the story. I think you could have structured this in such a way for a long form. Not that that that, that this is what should have happened, because I think that this this works. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. It, 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 it what I think you is. could do it this way as a long form book as well, and and cleverly weave in the correspondence to still build that mystery and still have us walk away from this, get some of the gritty action, but walk away from the story not knowing exactly all of the details of what happened and still keep that mystery alive that, that you get at the end of this going, well, I still kind of wonder what happened. You know, we didn't get every bit of detail. Right. And I think long form that could have satisfied maybe Keith and my need for the adventure in it, but also stay with the idea of how we were t- structuring this story so that we were still being a bit vague and mysterious as to what happened. The one danger you run into with doing a longer form but while still maintaining this correspondence format is um, well, the fact that somebody wrote the letter, so I know this person gets out. So then with, true. With, with your cliffhanger and your, da- your, your danger elements in the action, there's a part of my brain that never quite... You can fool me Except occasionally. Fact you know, that, if, yeah. if you set it up right at the beginning and then the rest of it is a flashback or whatnot, I can go along with it long enough that I may have forgotten that you set this up as a flashback. But I also think in the setting, if you if you go into the flashback elements of this and you introduce us to characters that aren't part of the correspondence, then, then you, puts the you draw them into those characters, put them in peril, right. and then go back to the correspondence. Because then you've suddenly said, okay... Yes, I came into this knowing that Pearl survived and Lethbridge Stewart survived. Now introduce me some characters that I don't know about. Yeah. So, not what we're telling I, Candy Jar how to do their books. No, no, no. Because, again, just, I think this short story works, and I and I appreciate the, the presentation. It's as we've always said with, uh, you know, a Doctor Who cliffhanger. If you put the Doctor in jeopardy, I don't buy it because it's just, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, his name's in the, in the title of the show. We've got to come <laughs> expect that. But having done it the way that they did this story... And I think Sarah did a phenomenal job because, like I said, my, my initial response was, "Ah, it's going to be a letter story." But it, she held my attention, and it was really the first well done. Letter was a bit too scatterbrained for me. It felt like it was just all over the place, and I thought Lethbridge Stewart's letter was good, and the second letter she wrote was was more had more thought to it. The first one just seemed too 
almost random and she was writing that I agree but I, and she, I think she, even, she, she even went so far as to apologize for it which was good but it just I would have liked her to have more of a cohesive thought than what I got for the first time I, I think they by the time you get to the third letter and the a little bit more of the insight into Pearl as a character that, that we kind of get as we go I'm much more forgiving of that first letter. I had the same reaction reading through the first letter. Yeah, and that once, it was I, just once I really finished it, I was shock. forgiving on it. But while reading it, I had a lot of trouble following what was happening. But yeah, I, just, I think it's that, more of a yeah. characterization thing, and that right. she's writing to somebody that she hasn't talked to in however many years. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and the reason that she becomes it's a almost little, stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. and the, the reason she becomes a little more uh, or a little less lucid in the second letter is because now she has reconnected and and she has some. Uh, she has less animosity to writing to him because he has responded. So yeah. I think that at that point she's a little more straightforward and square with what she's. And, and she's probably also thought more about what she was going to yeah, say. Yeah, maybe in the she's recalling one. too and the events better yeah, that yeah. she's got. And that's the impression I got that yeah. was she was re- remembering. But I, I will agree with everything you said about when you're first reading that first letter. She feels like she's very all over the place. But I think that was intentional. I think so, so too. I yeah. just it was very it was jarring. tough. It was tough. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Sarah's coming back to write a full novel. Yay! Yay! Congratulations, Sarah. That's that's fantastic. Um, I look forward to it again. Like I say, the the substance wasn't there for me, but uh, the presentation gave it high marks, in my opinion. And so I'd be looking forward to uh, see what she writes. Yeah. Should we move on to Moonbleak? Let's. Give a synopsis for that one, right? Yes, I do. July 1969, and mankind is on the moon. Both the United States and Soviet Russia have lunar bases, and both are in trouble. Back on Earth, Anne Travers has learned she is about to be visited by an old friend from America, Dr. Patricia Richards. Lance Corporal Bill Bishop is aware of the visit and is on hand to meet Richards. She brings with her a surprise, one which the Americans and Russians wish to get their hands on, but the only man who can truly help Anne, Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart, is away in Scotland. It's a game of cat and mouse as Anne and Bishop seek to protect the life of an innocent baby, one that holds the secrets to the life on the moon. Dun-dun-dun. Sounds like Sean enjoyed it. That's good. I, I might give it a little dun- stronger dun-dun-dun because what I, what I really pre- enjoyed about this story is... The great characterizations in it. Um, uh, Anne gets another chance to really grow as a character, and we get more insight into her. Bill gets a lot more to do, and greater involvement, which I appreciated. Uh, I enjoyed Patricia as a character, and I enjoyed the the quasi-villains we got. And I I really like the fact that in this story, the humans were the bad guys. That the aliens were the good guys. I really appreciate. I, I really like that idea in this story, especially since so far in this run we haven't really done that. We had a little bit of that in Beast of Fang Rock, but not to this extent. And I so that that was, was one nice thing. To see I, Rupert come back. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, that was my favorite part. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> tie-in to it all, and the nice little nods we get throughout the entire story, including a four-nod to Ambassadors of Death, which was nice that we had recently watched that one, so I was able to catch it. Uh, and But it becomes this kind of great spy story. 
this great espionage spy story throughout most of it that I really uh, I really liked and to give us something different so far in the run of Lethbridge Stewart stories. Uh, That's my short synopsis. Everything that Keith said I agree with uh, are the thing the elements of this that I like. I like that they took a different that that uh, Sadie took a different approach with this. And I do agree that I like that it was the villains were, were weren't what you expected, especially with what we've what we've come to learn from the Lethbridge Stewart series, <laughs> at least the, the format that is, has taken place. Yeah, um, I like that. I think the things that, that that bothered me most about this was the structure of the story that we brought Patricia, no, not Patricia, uh, Sally in early on, and it really felt like we were building this great team between Patricia. Anne, Bill, and Sally. And then Sally seems to have been just kind of misplaced halfway through this. And she just kind of disappears. She's just gone. And uh, I do quite like the idea that Lethbridge Stewart isn't there for a good chunk of this. And that we're learning what he's doing off-site and that they're setting up the uh, the fifth... Uh, Dollarite base. And that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're setting up the... Is it the fifth operational corps? Is that what it's, the... Fifth Operational Home, Regiment? Home, Home Army, Army Fifth, Fifth Operational, Operational Corps. Corps. Okay, so they're setting up the fifth. Yeah, <laughs> it took me a while. Out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like that they're they're setting up the uh, uh, Fifth Operational Corps and havoc. And uh, the <laughs> somebody <laughs> yeah, had to I'll say put it, it out there. Brilliant. And uh, it was brilliant. And that 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 is that that's something that's being put together. And I like the fact that he comes across the moon blink element. Uh, away from the the action that's going on with Patricia and the baby. So I like that. However, it's almost like we did a uh, three-card Monty and shifted Sally out and shifted the brig in, or uh, excuse me, (laughs) Lethbridge Stewart in later, which I'm glad that he united with the team, and it ends up being uh, Anne and Bill and him that go after uh, the bad guys in order to uh, save Patricia and the baby. The problem that I have with that is we spend a whole lot of time developing a villain in this story, in uh, Bland, and really characterizing him. And I really grew to love the characterization of him, the milkshake drinking, sweets fanatic, American kind of megalomaniac. I had a really hard time hearing an American voice coming. And then when we get to the big climactic, we have tracked him down and we're going to. Uh, save the baby and Patricia, then suddenly he has just gone, he's gone insane from taking too much of the moon blink and ends up being shot by the guy that we introduced as his buddy from Russia. Now, that being said, I don't have a pro. I do like the inner uh, uh, relationship between, we still have the Soviets and the U.S. who were in the middle of the Cold War. There's a, there's a lot of spy games going on. In fact, the scene with um, help me with the Russian's name. Kar- uh, Karkarov? Karkarov. No. Is that it? When we have Karkarov in the office with him and we have that discussion between the two, and there's you can tell that they're, they're, they're colleagues or they're even to the point friends, but they are still holding secrets from each other and still playing that game. That's so well done. But since suddenly Karkarov just shows up and shoots Bland, who I completely... 
I suppose I should appreciate that it took the turn so that it wasn't predictable, Looks and we didn't surprise. get the same type of character that Bland develops into in any other story that you develop Bland into. But Kavanaugh. It's Kavanaugh. And so then it's just dropped. And Kavanaugh takes, and then suddenly you've given me another, whole other villain that I know very little about and haven't invested any time in the development of the character other than that time that we get to know him in the office. And he goes off, and suddenly his motivations are elevated to the point of bland, and we get no indication of that anywhere in the rest of the book. Right, and even the fact that he had been gathering all these Terras. Yes. Um, ultimately, what I like is the fact that Anne is again forced to take an extraterrestrial drug <laughs> in order to aid in the situation, and it gives her the ability to see which of them are Terra and which of them are actual soldiers. And However, it was brilliant to layer in the stuff from Beast of Fang Rock to explain how it won't mentally affect her the way it's been affecting everyone else. Yes, other than giving her the ability to see, which yes. was a nice, a nice added. Um, but while I can see the brilliance in intermingling the Terra with the regular soldiers, that idea seems clever from a villainist standpoint because it's going to make it harder to figure out which ones are uh, Terra and. But I also then get the impression that nobody was ever in any sort of danger of being mistaken for Terra or uh, regular soldiers because there's no influx of we've got to take the compound now. If you if you had that element of we have to take the compound, then suddenly, oh my gosh, the Terra could be victims in this because you can't tell somebody apart. So you're going to need the moon blink in order to differentiate. And if Anne's the only one, how is she going to be the one that can say, okay, this one's good and this one's bad? You know, But they don't even build to that climax. Suddenly he takes too much moon dust and poof, he's gone. It's, it, it, was, it was this whole build up to a climax that isn't there. And so that was my biggest regret of that. But little pieces throughout this, her reuniting with Rupert, or Ruby, <laughs> which I thought was a, a brilliant take on the fact that you have this alien being that is now morphed into Earth society and is living here and now has the ability to experience all aspects of humanity, whether it be as a man or whether to then become the niece of the man he was once before yeah. and see things from a different perspective. And I like that. That was a very clever uh, way to put that in there. So we get a little bit of an info dump from Ruby for Anne to kind of further her pursuit. And the first thing that happens is the <laughs> bumbling journalist... <laughs> Char is it Charlie? Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, which I think might have originally been intended to be Charlie, but it's Charlie. Um, well, she, she even has the line of, oh, great, a Charlie in the making. Yes, exactly. And so that's another thing that kind of gave me the impression that maybe Charlie was, was wanted to be used here. But So suddenly Charlie, who has showed up and has been with uh, the one uh, alien, the one Terra, who came to him for help because he can expose the story and help them suddenly he's unused in the whole thing but that being said this guy who has done absolutely nothing in this story shows up and breaks the only vial of Moonblink, <laughs> or what they call it. It was actually, uh, the, the, the Brits were calling it something different. Or was the Americans calling it something different? Americans, they, well, it had two different names. Anyway, the military breaks, was calling it something breaks different. Breaks the vial of 
dust onto the floor and suddenly it's like, well, what was the point of having Ruby there if we're luckily going to have Lethbridge Stewart have a stash that he uh, coincidentally took off somebody that he ran into in Scotland? Yeah. So it was. It, it feels very... It feels like there's a really good substance of a story here, but there, but a lot of elements are completely underused and don't connect. And so that was my biggest problem with the story. Good concept, good story. Again, I like the fact that the aliens are the good guys. That we're that the, our crew is now seeing that there are good aliens as well as bad, and even Lethbridge Stewart admitting that. I yeah. like that. Um, but it just it, it it felt a little too loose, and so it was it, uh, enjoyable story. But it doesn't live up to things like Forgotten Son, uh, Beast of Fang Rock, and uh, Mutually Assured Domination. I, th- I think the reporter was one of my bigger issues with it, um, because he did feel very underutilized, and it feels like it's a setup for something down the road. But it, for this story, it almost would have worked better to. That's how Sally comes in. Was somebody sent that alien to Sally, and she had that interaction, and that's how he she gets brought into the story as opposed to early on, and then that way she's not wasted as a character, and just goes away for no reason. Um, do you, do you guys suppose uh, Redfern was chosen on purpose? You think that's an ancestor of Joan? Oh, I, I knew it sounded familiar. I, you know, I hadn't thought of that. Made that connection, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, be, I, I, I had to look up who the, the other Redfern character was because I kept thinking Redfers, Redvers from Ghostlight, but that's not it. <laughs> you keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Andy, give me a Ghostlight connection. <laughs> um, we're three for three. <laughs> I'm, well, yeah, one hundred percent with you. I, I thought the story was... <laughs> oh, you're agreeing with I'm me. I'm agreeing with okay. Glenn. I, what can I say? <laughs> I thought the story was well told. I thought the, the, the story itself was extremely entertaining. And, uh, and, and it, it was a lot of fun. More, for the other, more than the other ones, for me, was more of a page-turner, because I didn't quite know what was going to happen next. I, I, I think I read this one a little quicker in my pace than... The previous ones. Yeah, you blew past me. It, it didn't feel like... So, <laughs> there are some times when we have homework, quote-unquote, for the show, that it feels like, okay, i got to sit down and read It feels this. like homework. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it does just because of the sheer amount of what you're trying to do, get done in a certain amount of time, because I want to have it as fresh as I can in my brain. So I tend to do it in a shorter amount of time. But this one, I had no problem reading large chunks at one time. I agree with that. I, I, th- I think uh, um, I think Sadie's got a, a natural. She's got a really good voice. Voice uh, to the, the flow of how she writes. Um, I had the same problems though. I, I thought that, uh, and, and I, I wonder if part of it isn't either a Sally as a character could either be she could either be a kind of a, a hands off situation until we get maybe resolved what her and Lethbridge Stewart's relationship is going to wind up becoming. I suppose that's true. Or B, maybe just nobody really quite knows what, what to, to do, do with, with her character. Yet. Yeah. Because she's there and she's important, but we're not quite sure how. And, and you kind of get the impression that she can't know too much right. of what's going on. She has an idea, but she throughout all the stories, she's seems to be kept in the dark a little well, bit more. And that's certainly why I think she has, is shoved aside in this story, because she enough would have been divulged to her that she would have been asking questions or had too much information. And yeah. so I can see the idea of doing that with Sally. I think 
Sally also works early on because, and I don't mean to sound sexist, but to have three women that are looking after the best inference of the inf- interest of this child, I think works a lot better as a 1960s dynamic than bringing two men and a baby in. And so I think Sally works in that aspect, but unfortunately she just feels to be shoved aside without really any sort of resolution there. Well, I, I love the fact that Bill kind of steps up with the baby and takes care of it for the longest time there. That's a very exciting um, dynamic to have, is that not only is Bill back in the field in this one, and that he's a, a larger chunk of the story, and that he's getting some action, which is great, because I, I love Bill as a character. I'm very, very pleased with this. Yeah, you know, He's not Benton, but he's kind of in a really nice <laughs> substitute. And that in this one, it's not only that he can go out and handle the spy game stuff, he can go out and handle the gunplay stuff, he can go out and handle this, which we kind of knew. Oh, he's also good with kids. You know, and it, it just—it was a really nice little thing that, you know, and now it, obviously it, it kind of maybe helps that it's a moon baby that didn't appear to cry or fuss much and just kind of went along for the ride yeah, for, yeah. for whatever's going on. But that's on. acceptable. But, I think that's acceptable. A little, well, little lukish. And in a way, they kind of explained it, too, of... Now that they've left, he will become more childlike, like a normal child. Well, and, I and like at that. the point that they had to leave, it was already at the the baby was already at a point that it couldn't go with them. Right. And yeah. So yeah. I liked that yeah. that the, the fact that it was the physiology was changing. Although part of me, part of me felt like we spent this whole book trying to get this baby back with its people. And we get there, and they go, "Nope, we don't want it." See, I sort of like that I sort it's, it's of, because so, to I'm me, that's the surprise. about how I feel about that's it. That's yeah, I know, I agree. I, <laughs> I know what you mean, but I like that's the element of surprise is that we have built up this whole. We've got to get this baby home. We've got to get this baby home. This baby's been home all along. I like that. That yeah. way. And in the end, in the end, I do like it, but. At for when it first, you do invest a lot of time like, in. Okay, we got to get the baby home. What? And then they explain it, and I'm like, okay, I, okay, that's justified. But my initial reaction was, really? Well, you're, but you're meant to be put in the situation that Patricia and Anne are as well, because yeah. they have that exact same reaction, that, oh my gosh, we just went through all of this, only to find out that they can't take the baby home. <laughs> it's, um... Yeah, it, I, the biggest fault with the story... Is the, is the villain is bland, and I I can't believe I agree with you so much on this. I <laughs> you know the the milkshakes and everything. It would have been nice actually to have just even a little bit more characterization yeah, about yeah. why he's this. Why does he have the, you know? Is it a titanium straw? Is it a just give me a little it's more nugget of a, a you know? What is he? Is, his is, he, is he a germaphobe? Will yeah. he not use other straws yeah. because he does? He's afraid to get contract some sort of disease or bacteria. And or why banana germ? milkshakes? I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of just tantalizing. Ooh, awesome! And I loved that. And we get all the way up to the end, and then he just degenerated into crazy person and, and, and fell apart. And it was just like, oh. And then he gets shot by this other villain. Now, the MacGuffin aspect of that is cool, because you, you flipped it. I have been really invested in Bland as a bad guy. And now all of a sudden this other guy, who he and Bland are friends, so obviously they must share some sort of... Obviously he must be evil, too. Yeah, <laughs> quite honestly. It's, it's, well, it's, it's enough of a connection for me to go, okay. They certainly have the same goals. Yeah. And, and this guy's much more well put together. He's got the the resources of the uh, you know Bland just jumped on a plane and took off, and and, and this guy's got the the Russian embassy and all of the the resources available to him. 
to to pull all these uh, these things together. And it was foreshadowed a little bit when Bland's in his office originally, and and you know kind of has the internal monologue about he's always one step ahead of me, and I can't let him get this and blah blah blah. Well, he's still one step ahead of you, bud. We don't find that out till the end, but he is. At least we got that too. <laughs> right. I, I appreciate that we got that. So then uh, it's like, okay, cool. This guy, this guy's going to be an even greater villain because he just took out Bland. Therefore, he should be a greater villain than what Bland was. And he's not. He just kind of nothing, you know. He becomes a crazy person and dissolves, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and everything you said about the the end, the climax that wasn't. It's it's fine for our intrepid trio to go charging into this abandoned warehouse to try and rescue the baby. And it's just Lethbridge Stewart and Anne and Bishop. I'm fantastic yeah. with that. I, I love the conflict almost between Anne and Lethbridge Stewart of how to approach this. And she's not thinking with a military mind. And so he's kind of having, they're, they're kind of butting heads a lot throughout the story. Did you, ever find, really, did you find yourself reading it going, Anne listened to the men. <laughs> but then a lot of times just flipping and saying, you guys to need to really listen to Anne here. You know, yeah. I, I found myself conflicted in going back and forth and saying, no, they know what's best. And then going back and knowing, no, oh, she's yes. absolutely right. Yeah. You know, I, that was nice. That was I nice agree. to be able to, to, to bring me to both sides of that. But I think the once we get out of that situation and, okay, Bishop, you go tail him, Lethbridge Stewart should have had a, I've got to call in reinforcements and called the army and somebody to surround them in the woods so that we get that moment of, oh, this is why we have the moon blink. Because if all moon blink does is allow you to see the aliens for what they are, or drive you crazy, or make you disintegrate into a flow of particles that you can fly to the moon, well, obviously, Anne's not going to go crazy, and she's not going to go to the moon. So she needs to be able to see these for what they are. And if she had... It's a great moment for Anne to be able to tell these army guys you can't shoot until we figure out who's who and because they've disguised them and blah, blah, blah. I mean, okay, this is going to all come together. But that element's not there. It's just not there. And it winds up going from a climax to just kind of an ending. It just just kind of peters out. And it's really unfortunate that because up until that point, I really felt like this is such a, a, just a fun story. And I agree, it's not... It's it's not as well put together as say um, Forgotten Son or or Beast of Fang Rock, and it's not as much fun as Mutually Assured Domination. But I'm still enjoying the ride. I'm having a great time with it for two thirds of it, and then it just kind of gets to that last act, and it runs out of steam, yeah. and nothing really winds up gelling the way that it, it it should have. And it's couched as a Cold War mystery spy story, and it, it really yeah. works on that level for much of the book until it does try to be something different and because it has gone with this pattern for so long it dissolves away from that too quickly and too abruptly and falls apart for me at that point um another statement of karkaroff is and i said that name again right mm-hmm. okay i don't think so <laughs> uh, well, the, the russian the russian <laughs> the the uh um the the another element of that character is you explained it really well about how Bland was intermonologuing about how he's always one step ahead of me. And so we've kind of elevated this man into this kind of really good spy. Yeah. And even when he shows up and kills Bland and takes the, the baby and Patricia, you sort of think, okay, he has worked this out and he's calculated. And he has been a step ahead of Bland this whole time. Okay, I'll accept that. 
Now when we show up on his Kabanov. Kabanov, when we show up on Kabanov's Kabanov. When we go. show up on Kabanov's doorstep with the, the baby we've got to rescue Anne and the baby once again, suddenly he's there yelling at the Terra, "Tell me your secrets. Show me that." <laughs> suddenly he's become a completely different. He's become an idiot now. Yeah. It's like, "Wait a minute. You really really sold me on this this Russian guy being smart, intelligent, one step of ev- in front of everybody, ahead of everybody." And then suddenly he goes into this blithering, oh, tell me your secrets. I want to know. I want to go to the moon. I want to be the. I want to be, be there. I want to be one of you. I want to be one yeah. of you. And it's like, yeah. He should have been smart enough to know he couldn't do that, Instead too. of knocking Sadie down, though, because I agree you guys uh, have said it, that she really has a, a voice. And I think she's, she's, she's almost there as far as telling a good story. The one thing that she's very strong at here is she has the characters nailed. Oh, yeah. There wasn't absolutely. a time that anybody did anything out of character, as far as our familiar characters. Lethbridge Stewart, Bill, uh, Patricia, who we're introduced to in this one, and even Sally. She's got these characters down. Even she Hamilton. knows them. Yeah, Hamilton. Yeah. You really feel like she's got a great grasp on these characters, and she does a superb job with keeping each one of them as we know them. And 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 also allowing us to learn new things about them as well. Yeah. Even even Travers, Professor Travers, uh, he, he learning new <laughs> things about them as we go. Scene. It was yeah, <laughs> especially that he falls asleep. Yeah. The, the, probably one of the the pinnacle historical moments that that everybody got a chance to observe. And, and tra- <laughs> <laughs> Professor Travers falls asleep. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, I, I it's I was a little frustrated initially when I realized. Lethbridge Stewart wasn't going to be in the Lethbridge Stewart book very much. And the first time we did it with Beast of Fang Rock, and it became Anne's story, it was a very cool, I mean, it was a novelty, but it was a cool, let's bring her forward and let's let her do her thing. And my initial reaction was, oh, you know, it's, it's fine if you want to do it as a, as a short. Because I, I think the shorts are a really good opportunity to explore the side characters that we've set up. But for a Lethbridge Stewart novel, I want Lethbridge Stewart in it. But... For this story, and the way that this story is told, you couldn't have done it any other way. Oh, yeah, as, as, as you pointed out, you can't yeah. have Lethbridge Stewart hanging out with the the Moonbling baby because it just doesn't work. It would have it would have turned into an American comedy, is what it would have done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's yeah. a way to write it that way, but I I, I didn't need that. So uh, as it went on, and I've kind of resigned myself to the oh well, he's just not going to be in this one very much. And then we got to the end, it was like yeah, okay, great. They worked exactly, you yeah. know, the, the way that uh, it, it it should have for his character. And, and that's cool. Now, I still foresee a potential problem with getting this Lethbridge Stewart to become that Lethbridge Agreed. Stewart. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> oh, agree. I, I, I he's, agree. He's a little too accepting and buddy-buddy with aliens at this point. And so I'm wondering Although what tragedy de- is going to happen that's going to make him step back. His delivery of almost militaristic or, or diplomatic approach to... Uh, explaining to the Terra that he hopes that they understand that, you know, not all uh, humans are like this. Yeah. Uh, it was very much in line with the the type of, of character that I think Lethbridge Stewart is. But I, on that second note, I agree. His experiences almost are painting a different character if and you were progressing on just from the Lethbridge Stewart stories. So, and I actually almost hope that there is something that happens that kind of sets him back into the Brigadier that we become familiar with later. Well, and as much as I enjoyed the aliens aren't the bad guy in the story, 
I think that's the one time, the only time we can do it. After this, they need to keep being the villains to keep Lethbridge Stewart on that path of the military mindset. Except for Rupert slash Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and he, then, that, that's more. To that's be. more. That's more Anne too. Yes. That's not so much him. It, it's funny that you said that about uh, Lethbridge Stewart being more less less involved early on and and and, and feeling that way. It was a for me. I did the same thing with Beast. Is Lethbridge sort of took a back uh, door or back uh, uh, seat to what was going on. But Beast of Fang Rock was so good, and I so enjoyed Anne in that that going into this one and setting it up, knowing that it was another Anne story, I was perfectly fine with Brett <laughs> oh, yeah. Stewart in the background because because oh, oh, Beast oh, of Fang Rock a- had treated Anne in such a way yeah. that I I fell in love with the character. I knew that, that, that this story was in good hands, and if Lethbridge Stewart was hardly in this book at all, as long as Anne was the lead in this, it was going to be it just beca- fine. It becomes <laughs> a weird place to put me in, that I'm the one going, ah, we should have more Lethbridge Stewart in our Lethbridge Stewart series. But when you look at the, the, the five books that we reviewed thus far, my favorites have been the ones that didn't have Lethbridge Stewart as the lead in them. Because <laughs> I was a big fan of Beast, and I was a big fan of Mutually Assured Domination. And Chorley is you know, a it's, good it's story. chunk of that. Um, but until, maybe, until Chorley gets captured. <laughs> then, then it has to be the brief yeah. story after and, that. And maybe it's because Lethbridge Stewart was so represented in the first two that you know they felt they could kind of step away from him I a think little so. bit. And, so they yeah, like, I and think that's so. fine. You know, I'm, uh, again, I'm not telling them how to run their business here. <laughs> I'm just, in, I'm just giving you my well, impressions let's, on let's the book. Put it, let's put it this way. They're doing it right. So oh, yeah, we're okay. Absolutely. Yeah, no. <laughs> you start doing it wrong, we may say, this is how you need to do it. No, we won't do it. <laughs> I also like the idea, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm 100% on board with an idea, the idea of a alien species living on the moon. The idea of how the species works is really cool, and the fact that they have these two sets of organs for everything, and that's how they can live up there. And then when they come down to Earth, they start losing the part, losing the organs and transforming and evolving into whatever form. It, it, you get the impression that they obviously didn't originate on the moon. Yeah, I was going to say, they correct me if I'm wrong. They did. This was a a uh, yeah. They had migrated like, like a, to the moon, correct? Yeah, okay, yeah, and I they just like, remember. Yeah, Ruby confirmed that, that right. they were pretty much everywhere. Okay, but. yeah, and that's such a, such a cool idea for these aliens and. Of how they can integrate into society without anybody ever knowing it—a really cool and Cold War idea. I think it's almost a little more. Um, you, you, when you mentioned their their physiology and their lifespan, the fact that the moon blink or lunar—I forget what it was—it was lunar something lunar was dust? what the lunar dust. Um, the, the the powder is. Their remains. Them. Yeah, yeah. That, it's, that was that was quite a neat reveal. That was a really cool reveal, and I almost wish we could have had a little bit more scientific backup on that. When, when Anne's at the vault, it's almost in retrospect, I would have rather had her analyzing the dust than the baby, because it seems like the whole trip to the vault didn't really reveal much for them, other than they got the guy that Lethbridge Stewart sent down. Well, it, it did a little bit before we because we hadn't met Charlie yet, so it kind of gives us the hint that. With this dust, you can see what these babies, were, what these aliens really look yeah. like. It, it, it set it up so yeah. that we knew why. But um, yeah, I, I would have, I would have liked a little bit more on the. Somebody, somebody give me a dissertation on the lifespan of a, <laughs> uh, of a Terry and how it goes to this and what the chemical compounds. I don't need it, but it's just cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it was a great reveal for that. 
Anything else? I think that um, going into this with the mindset that this is the first and the next set of books that's coming out, um, I can come down on the fact that while I think it's weaker than everything in the series, I think it's a good start to this next set. I think that, uh, again, I think Sadie's got a good handle on the voice. I would like to see her come back and write more Lethbridge Stewart because I think she's she she's almost there as far as I don't know what else she's done writing wise but I think as far as connecting the dots is her weakest link I think that uh, overall she's got a good voice she's got a good hand on the characters and I think her writing style is is really really well done and fleshed out in this story um, did you get the connection there at the end did you get it before you read the thread I got one of them <laughs> I did not. I get didn't the get the other one because we haven't listened to the uh, Sarah Jane adventures that Big Finish has put out. Here's... However, the, as soon as I heard the Brendan Richards, my mind scrambled. I went, uh, "Is that a, is that a connection? Is that?" And then I, I couldn't quite place it until I was I was just finishing the book, and then I went, "Wait, I remember who that is." And then I had to go to Wiki and make sure verify that I was right. I was like, "Yes." So apparently we have set up the idea that this is the same Brendan Richards that meets with Sarah Jane in A Girl's Best Friend, the first, the first and only canine and company ah. episode. Uh, the one that helps her open the crate, gets kidnapped by the, the cold. Yeah. yeah, so this is apparently the connection to that Brendan Richards. So I thought that was really cool. The other connection I still don't know because, again, when Andy and we were uh, in Facebook chat and he had asked if, we, if, if we'd caught that, I didn't. I didn't know what the, even the reference was on that one, so I'm I'm in the dark on that one. But I figured that's because I hadn't listened to any of the Sarah Jane stuff. Big finish yeah. is done. I uh, I take that back. Then I didn't catch that until after that. That's the same Brendan. That, Richards. That's the same Brendan Richards. The, uh, uh, presumably the same Brendan Richards. Let's <laughs> say that. The the connection that I made that I thought you were referring to was a uh, one Captain Bartlett. Of which there are apparently a lot of Bartlets over in there uh, are a lot of Bartlets in the <laughs> UK over, over yeah, in the UK. So. We have an good authority that was uh, pointed reference. Yes. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Did you not that. see that? You didn't no. see that part of the thread. I didn't see that part of the thread. Apparently, there's also a Sebastian Collins referenced. Oh, I didn't see. That. <laughs> which I missed that altogether. So now I got to go back through the book and find out. Oh what my Sebastian gosh, Collins was that? No, I just I they, I saw they, I Bartlett just... and I see Bartlett in a lot of literature and and. See, uh, I think that was my problem. Well, I didn't notice Collins because I, I ignore it when yeah, I see it. It, it just happens. <laughs> I, wow. I saw Bartlett and went. Oh, I know who that is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got real excited there for a moment. So, uh, I, I'm a little set aback by that. I didn't know that. I didn't catch that link. That's wow. I, I'm. We're not just famous. We're infamous. Wow. <laughs> so this is like the best um, of the novels that I've read in the Lethbridge Stewart line. Um, I, well, you know, I, there's nothing better I can say about this book because it's just phenomenal. <laughs> oh, according to Andy, uh, the character—it's just a name drop in this. The characters will actually show up later. Oh wow. So oh. we're going places, baby. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm very excited to, to uh, meet our nemesis, <laughs> m- m- Mr. Miles. Yeah. Ah. Is, okay, that's what that was in veiled reference to then in that. Okay. I, I, so you caught that part? You didn't catch I, the... I, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, he wrote that in that, and, and I didn't, I wasn't sure whether that was, I thought that was more of a meta reference to us talking about, okay, that's who showed up. Now, now, it, now it totally makes sense that you've let me in on it. So, <laughs> huh. I'll be darned. So I found the Bartlett reference. Oh, good. Read that. 
The garrison were on a need-to-know basis, and they needed to know very little, except to allow access to allow Lethbridge Stewart, Douglas, and Captain Bartlett access to the lower levels beneath the new barracks. <laughs> I'm I'm actually kind of flattered now. <laughs> I'm that's pretty cool. Hugely flattered. I mean, that's I'm extremely, very cool. Extremely well, I guess technically Captain Bartlett was in this because he was on the night. Late night shift, which meant Lethbridge Stewart deserved a pint. So it was just another reference. Right. That's but, the one yeah, I remember that, okay. reading. Yeah, I so remember you got two, that as well. You got two names. He had, yeah. he had three. Oh, you got There's three? a third one. Well, that's my namesake. But yes, that's uh, that's very cool. That is very cool. Huh. So that's why you looked at me coyly when I was talking about there being Bartlett's in the yes. UK earlier. In the, okay. In the I, totally, I totally thought that's where you're going no, with that story. No, is no, that, no. Yeah, there's a lot of Bartlett's over there. No. We even read about one. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the uh, the Collins reference. is uh, Ruby smiled. Anne could tell that she appreciated her directness. I can't imagine Dominic Varr would be much help. Not that he's currently in any, any position to do so. Anyway, I believe Sebastian Collins has him quite busy. <laughs> so you're taking care of uh, Dominic Var, All right. the Dominator. There you go. Very cool. <laughs> that sound you hear is our egos inflating. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, I didn't, I, I'm at a loss of words now. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. That's. Thank you, Sadie. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Sadie. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. You'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> We're gonna showstoppers. You, you, can, can you imagine what's gonna happen? Your phone's just gonna blow up when we get to wherever that reference. Just, just when it now happens that it's to on drop. Our radar. Now yeah. that it's there, we'll be like, "Did you see?" You know. Hopefully, oh. I'll get to it before you guys do. <laughs> yeah, because we won't spoil it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to text you first. Did you yeah, see? And you'll be exactly. like, "Yeah." Is Keith ready? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's waiting till the last minute again. <laughs> So the only other thing that I can think of to mention on this is, is as far as placing this within the greater Who universe, what happens to the Terry when the when the moon hatches? You say Terry, yeah. the Terra. Terra. The Terra. I think it was because I think there was an intentional because was, somebody mentioned how that name sounded like Terra. They didn't say it in so many words, but it sounds like Terra. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. The Terra. What happens to them when the moon in hatches? In fact, I think it's the. Con- <laughs> that is a good question. I think it's the conversation with her and uh, Ruby. And uh, how incorrect that name for them is. So, yeah. yeah. What happens when the moon hatches? Well, I don't know. Do the Cybermen find them on the moon? I presume the Cybermen must have missed them the whole time. Because although we although the moon hatches before the Cybermen are on the moon. so That's true. Maybe they didn't survive the hatching. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's why they're not there. That could be. Oh, now I'm sad. <laughs> well, maybe they had moved on. By then. Maybe they, they moved on to it. their next yeah migration. So, okay. Yeah. That fixes it. That's, <laughs> that's how I'm going to fix it in my head again. They're migratory species, and they just happened to have left by then. Who, who was it that asked on on Friday night? Who? Why would why would the uh, why would anybody build a, a weather control base on an object that is hatched? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You can't look at any moon story the same way after <laughs> the moon story. The I just, I'm I'm totally okay with it because it's like, well, obviously the gestation period is so long before the thing <laughs> yeah. hatches, that base is going to be well not used. Well gone before then. So Okay. I don't think we can colonize the moon. That might cause a few problems. <laughs> yeah. 
will have to be there and gone before it hatches again. There you go. All right, what do we got coming up on the schedule, Sean? Well, coming up this week on the schedule is the Mask of Mandragora. That's our Friday Night Who offering for this week, uh, which is also going to be our discussion topic for next week's episode, number 287. Uh, And uh, because we enjoy uh, adversary archives as such, we're also going to throw in the Mark of Mandragora comic. And um, so you can uh, follow along at home and... uh, See what happens there. Um, the following week is the King's Demons for Friday Night Who, which is July 1st. And then uh, we'll be taking a look at the uh, Titan Comics 8th Doctor miniseries, which I believe will be finished by then, I promise. I believe it has finished. It has finished. I'll double check with Titan to find out for sure because they're, they're uh, yes, it, it should be done. Their uh, release dates tend to get a little flighty, it seems, at times with. Every time I think I've got it nailed down, they change it up on me. I think they're doing it just to yeah, just to, just to mess with me. It, it, you said Eighth Doctor. Right? Eighth Doctor. It has finished, and a, the first the volume has come out as a trade paperback. All right. Well, then we'll we'll be reviewing that along with Big Finish number eighty one, The Kingmaker. I have no idea if it in any way, shape, or form ties into the King's Demons, other than it stars the Fifth Doctor and has King in the title. So that's why I put those two together. <laughs> that's how I do things. <laughs> why not? And I'm assuming it's next in line for us for five? Or are we jumping somewhere else uh, that we shouldn't? Oh, that's a good question. No, because, well, I don't remember <laughs> if it's been doing a, Aramim in order. I don't remember if it's a five and other companions. Aramim we've been doing in order. I think this yeah. is a Perry and Aramim story. Okay. I think it is. Um, I'll find out and let you know off mic, but... Uh, and then if you want to go one, one, one further out, uh, beyond that is Spearhead from Space for Friday Night Who, and then uh, some more Eighth Doctor goodness. We'll jump back into the Eighth Doctor uh, Big Finish Adventures Season 2 with number 3, Brave New Town, and number 4, The Skull of Sobek. So there's that. All right. Be sure to uh, support us on our website, travelingthevortex.com. We do have some... Uh, Links on the right-hand side of the page where you can uh, purchase merchandise and uh, portions of those go right back into this show. And also, we have a link to Patreon. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, uh, you can click on there and uh, any amount that you'd like to pledge to the show goes 100% back into the show. And if you are already a Patreon subscriber, thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. If that's going to do it for this show, for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.